It's always so good to baptize people. And this Sunday in person at King Street Community Church, we're baptizing 10 people who are taking the next step in following Jesus. And um, we're really excited about that. There's nothing quite like an in-person water baptism celebration. And uh, we're so glad that you're tracking with us on our YouTube channel. Um, but if you feel comfortable, we would love to have you join us in person. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. for one hour. We take our appropriate COVID uh, precautions, and this is a very safe environment for you to come and gather for worship. So uh, if you're local, we'd love to have you come and join us. I just want to say a big thank you to Dr. Van Johnson uh, and our pastoral team. Dr. Van did such a great job kicking off the uh, summer sabbatical season. Uh, with his uh, YOLO series, You Only Live Once. It was so insightful, so good. Always appreciate hearing from Dr. Van. I heard some tremendous reports from our, from our congregation about our staff pastors and how well they did preaching and teaching and leading and serving uh, while I was away. So a big shout out of thanks to all of our staff and pastors who served so well. The church was uh, very much in capable hands and uh, we are blessed with a tremendous team of pastors. I know that I am. Who, uh, who I serve beside. So uh, big thank you to them. Uh, we're continuing our series of scripture talks um, called Flawed Yet Faithful out of Hebrews chapter 11. I was blessed to have an extended sabbatical season this summer and I feel rested and refreshed and ready to get back at it and uh, serve among you. And so I wanna say a big thank you to this congregation, to our board for extending a summer sabbatical season of rest and refreshment for me personally. So um, I'm glad to be back and uh, I get to preach and teach now to sort of wrap up the series. We're not quite done yet. Pastor Al is going to help us next week and then I'll wrap it up with a, a teaching on uh, King David. But we're going to spend some time this morning looking at a character found in Hebrews 11. Uh, her name is Rahab and uh, we're going to talk about how we can all become people of faith, hope and love. And the passage to ponder that you've been working through this summer is taken from verses 39 and 40 from Hebrews chapter 11. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. And so the writer of Hebrews chapter 11 is pointing us backward to people from the Older Testament who lived um, not perfectly, not flawlessly, but who lived a life of faith. And God used them in tremendous ways and their lives are signposts for us so that we can learn life lessons from them about who God is and about how we can navigate our way in the world under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, the story of Rahab is a story of how outsiders can become insiders and how those from the other side of the tracks can play a critical role in the redemptive plan of God. Rahab's story shows up in three New Testament passages, one in the Gospel of Matthew, another in the letter that James wrote to the early Christians, and then the reference that I just, I will just reference in a moment from Hebrews chapter 11. But her story is really found, the large narrative is from Joshua chapter 2, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, here's what the writer tells us about Rahab. It was by faith, you see the common theme as we work through this uh, chapter, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, the writer just puts that qualification in there, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, that Rahab the prostitute, faith and 
a woman who was known as being a prostitute come together in the very same sentence. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city, the city of Jericho, who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to an audience who would understand exactly what he is referencing, what the author is referencing. And so they would immediately go back in their mind's eye to the story that played out in Joshua chapter two. It is a story of faith, hope, and love. And so let's take a look at the backstory of chapter two of the book of Joshua, the first three verses. Then Joshua, who was the successor of Moses, he's the commander in chief of the Israelites, of the Hebrew people. Then Joshua, the successor of Moses, he secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. This is again where the writer of Hebrews picks up the story of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house for they have come here to spy out the whole land. So this is a little um, snapshot or backstory, a glimpse into the backstory of what's happening. Joshua is um, following the leadership of the Lord and the promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and uh, that this land would be their land. And so um, they begin to work the process. So I've got four big thoughts for you today as we uh, consider the life of Rahab. And it was a life of faith, and uh, she was not a perfected person by any means, and neither are we. And so we all can learn life lessons, flawed yet faithful, as we continue this series. Here's the first thought for consideration this morning. Rahab does what's right, and sometimes doing what's right is risky. Um, Let's keep reading the story, verses 4 through 6 of Joshua chapter 2. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. So let's address the elephant in the room for just a moment. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the writer affirms uh, Rahab. In the same sentence, he has a woman of faith who was known as being a prostitute at the time when she was hiding the two uh, Jewish spies or the Hebrew spies. And the elephant in the room is Rahab lies to these king's officials who are on the lookout for these two men. And um, she hides them up in the um, roof of her residence. And uh, it's very likely that her home was in the wall that protected the city. And uh, so she is living there and she's obviously up close to the top. So she hides them there in the roof, but she never discloses where they are, though she knows where they are. She points them in another direction. Um, Is it ever okay to lie? Is it ever just um, justifiable to deceive someone else? And so this is the elephant in the room because we know in God's top 10 list, the 10 commandments found in Exodus and Deuteronomy, we're told that we should not lie. And so here we have Rahab deceiving these king's officials. It's not the only time this has happened. If we remember back in Exodus chapter one, the Hebrew people are multiplying and Pharaoh feels threatened 
uh, by the fact that the population of the Hebrew people is growing exponentially. So he calls in the um, Egyptian midwives and says, every time you're helping a Hebrew woman give birth and you discover that it's a male or a boy, um, take the life of the child. Uh, Pharaoh gave the order, and yet these Egyptian midwives um, turned aside the order and made up a story. They allowed the Hebrew boys to live, and they said that the uh, Hebrew women were so vigorous and strong that they would give birth before the Egyptian midwives would arrive, which was a straight-up lie. And we read in the text in Exodus 1, this is what's said about the Egyptian midwives. God was good to the midwives because they feared God, and he gave them families of their own. So God actually blesses these midwives for preserving and protecting life, even though they disobeyed the commandment of Pharaoh and they lied about it. In both of these contexts, Rahab hiding the spies and these Egyptian midwives um, protecting the unborn life, so to speak, or the uh, early born life of of a Jewish male, both of these situations, the life of others is at stake. And uh, Dr. Walter Kaiser, who is an Old Testament scholar and professor, he says that just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's recommended. And so for us, most of us will never be put in a situation like this where Rahab has to choose between giving someone's life up, not even protecting her own, but giving someone else's life up, or the Egyptian midwife by terminating a young child's life, simply because there was a male authority or a human authority who instituted the declaration. Um, This is an ethical problem. It's a challenge for us because scripture is very clear that we should not lie. And yet there seems to be a law at work that promotes and protects life that is motivated by love that seems to be um, somewhat affirmed in scripture. And so again, just because it's recorded doesn't mean it's recommended, but God redeems those things that are recorded in his story. So that's the elephant in the room. So we'll keep going. We don't want to get too distracted this morning, but I felt like I I owed you a bit of an explanation of that passage. And uh, as there appears to be a little bit of a contradiction as we first read the the text. So uh, doing the next right thing is an expression of our allegiance to God. Um, Faith is about giving God our loyalty, our highest loyalty and allegiance. Um, The confession that the early Christians would make when they would say Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord, was a declaration of loyalty and allegiance. And what I appreciate about Rahab is that she chose her new loyalty to the people of God and to the God of the Hebrew people over her own nation. Um, This is a woman who maybe has something to say to us today as it relates to the movement of nationalism in our world and how it runs beside um, the people of God and their declaration to be supremely loyal to God, the one true God. Um, Nationalism can compete with our faith. We are not Canadians first, we're Christians first. That doesn't mean that we thumb our nose at authority and that we're not good citizens in this land by any means. But we don't marry our faith to our nationalism. Um, With all due respect to our American neighbors, sometimes they have been accused of a patriotic faith where the flag and the profession of their faith are so woven together that you can't even separate them. Rahab separates them. She chooses to say no to her nationalistic um, tendency or potential impulse for an expression of faith, loyalty, and allegiance to God and to the people of God. 
So faith impacts both our creeds and our deeds. We learn that in this story. Rahab did something. Her faith motivated or moved her to act. And James, who writes a letter in the New Testament, he has something to say about this. Uh, He writes in chapter 2, verses 25 to 26, he says, In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. We can underline that, for what she did. When she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So it really does matter what we believe. And it really matters what we do. And I like what Rick Warren has said. He said the first Reformation, which is about the Protestant Reformation, was about creeds. He says the next one, and the one that happens in the human heart, is about deeds. And it's what we do. It it proceeds from what we believe. But if what we believe doesn't motivate us to act, then our belief is oftentimes in vain. All right, number two, Rahab's faith was informed by the power and greatness of God. So as a Canaanite woman, we wonder why Rahab would be so favorably predisposed toward these Jewish spies and turn against her own country. Um, The reputation of Israel's God was spreading quite dramatically in the region. Uh, In verse 8, we'll keep reading the text. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard. I like that. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. And we can underline this. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. God has acted in history and his reputation precedes him. And Rahab was made aware of God's supernatural power and strength that Israel's God is a miracle working God. Situations that seem impossible to us as humans, like a body of water opening up so his people can walk through on a dry path, inspire faith in those who hear. At Passover, the Jewish people, even today, will recount or retell the story of the Passover celebration, how God led his people out of Egypt And they tell the story because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the message, the redemptive message of the gospel. And so they will still tell that story. And in the New Testament, we don't simply talk about a body of water that opens up, but a crucified body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was made alive again after he had died. And we, as Paul writes, are the body of Christ. And as we make our way in the world, we represent the God we profess to serve, love, and follow. And so God needs no defenders, but he also is encouraging us and inviting us with the help of the Spirit and his word to live in such a way, not perfected, flawed of course, but to live in such a way that reminds the world what God is like. God is powerful, he's almighty, he's the supreme God of heaven and earth. He is a supernatural God who can alter the laws of nature for miraculous purposes and redemptive purposes. But he's also not just the God of power. He's the God who steps into our suffering, who is kind and compassionate and faithful and gentle and generous and all of the characteristics that make God who he is. We are invited to be the body of Christ in this world, giving an accurate testimony to who our Savior and Lord is. And so um, God has acted in history and his reputation precedes him. Rahab had heard of him and the world needs to hear of him and to see him as clearly as possible through the witness of the church.
Okay, number three, Rahab's faith included concern for others. Uh, verses 12 and 13. Um, people of faith, we should always be known for our care for all of God's creation, especially um, our neighbor, our family, our friends. And Rahab, she didn't negotiate with the spies. She didn't say, I'll do you a favor if you do me a favor. She acted and did the next right thing, even though it was risky. And she didn't negotiate to get something for herself in agreement to hide them there. But afterwards, she just made a request of them that they would be benevolently predisposed towards her and her family. And we'll pick it up in verse 12. Now swear to me, she says, by the Lord, that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. And so biblical faith will always be full of love and impact the way we relate with other people. Um, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, and the context of it was the demonstration of the Spirit's power through the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, we hear about spiritual gifts. But in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes a, a rather corrective word to that first century Christian community. And he said, here's the deal. Demonstrations of the Spirit's power that are empty of love are problematic. And he says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And so Christians ought to be known by their love for God and for one another. And uh, those of you who've been around church a while know that I'm stating the obvious when I say that. At the same time, it's easy for that message to roll off our lips. Sometimes it's a very different story to learn to love. Even the one who's difficult or challenging or the one who lines up opposing us as an enemy, and it can be challenging to demonstrate God's kind of love in our families, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and maybe even sometimes in our churches. And so being people of allegiance to God should make us better humans who are known by their love. All right, one last thought. Number four, Rahab's faith points us backward and forward to the redemptive story of God. Verses 14 through 21. We offer our own lives as a guarantee. This is what the spies say. As a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope or a cord through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then, when they have returned, you can go on your own way, on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope, or in the NIV it says cord, hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. And she says, I accept your terms. What a powerful word that is. I accept your terms. I say yes to that. She steps into agreement with them. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope or cord, as I said earlier, the NIV uses the word cord, hanging from the window. So the, the same Hebrew word that's used for rope or cord is the same Hebrew word that's used for hope. Isn't that a really cool, insightful way of looking at this story? Rahab holds on to her hope and she puts it in the window. She actually goes public, so to speak, with her hope. And uh, for us today, hope is confident expectation that what's been promised to us will be delivered. 
God has made some promises, as he did to Abraham, that they would inherit the land. And God had made some promises through these Hebrew spies that Rahab and her family would be saved, and they were. And it's a story of hope for all of us. None of us have arrived yet. It's a story of love for others. It's a story of faith, believing the best about God and what we hear and that he is supreme over heaven and earth, and it moves us to act. It's a story of hope, of confident expectation. The story of Rahab points us back to Passover and toward the Lord Jesus' death. Um, At Passover, they were invited to bring their families under a doorframe and have the blood of the the lamb sprinkled on the doorframe. It would be a protective covering for them. And for us, Jesus followers, when we put our saving faith in Jesus, we are protected by the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus. Our sins are canceled. They are atoned for. And so this scarlet cord, the hope that Rahab hangs out of her window is also something that points back to the redemption of Passover and it points forward to the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus. And I love this, outsiders can become insiders. Listen to this last passage, Matthew chapter one, verses five to six. Solomon, the father of Boaz, this is the the genealogy or the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And if you're new to the Bible, you're saying, what are all these names and what does this mean? Here's what it means. It means that God chooses, as part of his redemptive plan in human history, to use outsiders. And even people who we may categorically dismiss because of their lifestyle, he brings them into his redemptive plan. And so Rahab is actually the great-great-grandmother of King David. And she is instrumental, so to speak, of seeing that line develop, which is the Davidic line where Messiah Jesus was promised to come. And so Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And he wants them to know that it's not just sons and daughters of Abraham that are in the crosshairs of God's redemptive love, but all of humanity are in the crosshairs of his divine, unconditional, redemptive regard. And it is a beautiful, beautiful story. In fact, the early church fathers, and I'll conclude with this, they understood the story of Rahab as a picture of the church where God is bringing in those who are far off. Uh, He is bringing in the Gentiles, so to speak, the non-Jewish believers into the family where both Jews and Gentiles become one family together. And I love the fact that in God's redemptive grace, he actually puts Rahab, who is described as the prostitute in Hebrews chapter 11. She's part of the lineage and the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you are full of hope today. Um, What can sometimes happen for us is our hope levels can be higher when we're getting it right and lower when we're getting it wrong. Or when things in our life seem to be out of control, we struggle to believe that we're in the crosshairs of God's love. But when things are going just the way we think we ought, that they ought to go for us, we feel loved by God. Regardless of our circumstances and situation today, the truth is that you are incredibly loved. And God has redemptive purposes and plans for you. So I wanna pray for you and then we'll invite uh, Pia to come back and to wrap up our gathering. So Lord, thank you today for your grace and mercy that is always spread out, that is proceeding from your unconditional love over all of us. And God, thank you for the story of Rahab. She was flawed, but she was also faithful. 
And uh, thank you that you, as Paul writes, snatch burning sticks from the fire and you redeem them. And I pray, Lord, for each of us today that this story would remind us that you are up to something good in the world and you surprise us by how you work. And all of us have great reason to be full of hope today. And so bless each and every one of my friends, help us to live well in this world and to represent Jesus uh, for who he is and help us not to, um, to bring any um, disdain to the name, but help us to only live consistently with the character of Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.